There's something special about the end of the Christmas Eve service. Most of the times, I'm the last one to leave the building. So it means making sure that all the lights are turned off, that the heat has returned back to its normal temperature, that candles are extinguished and everything is ready, and we start turning out the lights, all of them, and then finally walking out to a quiet evening. Then head home, and for us uh, this year, it was finishing putting together Beckett's Kitchen. So that meant putting screws and um, stickers and things all out together so that it would be ready to go on Christmas Day. But one of the things I also love hearing is what happens after the Christmas Eve service. And a lot of times I get those stories shared with me. I remember one such Christmas. It was when I was serving a congregation in Lexington, and we did two Christmas Eve services there. We did one earlier on in the day that was more of a family-themed one, and the young people, the youth, gathered, kind of like we do, but they actually acted it out, acted out the Christmas story, and we have all kinds of great stories about that. The miraculous birth of Jesus, where Mary turns around and produces the baby, puts it right in there. We have stories of shepherds with hooks and crooks and staffs hitting each other, because that's what middle schoolers do when you give them a stick. And then we have moments like this. After the service was over and the middle schoolers and the high schoolers had taken their costumes and put them away, people had finished saying Merry Christmas to each other and made their way out the back. I was going up front to make sure that all the candles had been extinguished and everything was ready and set for the next service that would be later on in the evening. And I saw a little elementary school girl not much more than eight years old, standing looking at the manger. And I went up to her and I said, did you enjoy the service tonight? She said, yes. And she said, someone left baby Jesus here. Is Mary going to come back and get him? For that young lady, you didn't leave a baby in a feeding trough. And I said, well, Mary's, Mary's left. And then she goes, I can take care of him. And so we wrapped him in the swaddling cloths and I handed it to her and I said, would you make sure to bring him back? She said, yes. And she held him in her arms and headed out the door to go meet her parents. When I was serving a congregation in Shelbyville, I was the associate there, and I worked as the youth director and also for children. And one family that I worked with had a daughter who was special needs. And she was autistic, and brought her own gifts 
to the world, one of which was a significant amount of energy. She was all over the place, and, and it, she didn't really find that she could come into worship and sit there because most of our worships are like this. We sit still, and we don't always do well with young people who are moving around at 100 miles an hour. I think God thinks it's cool and doesn't have a problem with it, but unfortunately, some people feel like that it's just best to kind of sit there. And so for Sarah, she struggled with being in the service, and her parents struggled as well. So generally, she found another place to go, except on Christmas Eve, because Sarah had a blue blanket. And whenever Sarah took that blue blanket and put it over her head, she said she became Mary. And for Christmas Eve, she was able to sit and take in the entire service with that blue blanket over her head as she was marrying. Interesting enough, later on I found, after I had gone on, that once Sarah had grown up, they invited her as an adult to come back and to be Mary in one of the Christmas pageants. They recognized the gift that this young person could bring, even as Mary. So what did you guys do after Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day? Did you kick your feet up and just pause for a minute? Did you have to drive around? Did you have to go to see certain family? Did, what is it that you had to do? How did you spend your time on Christmas Eve? Interesting enough, we get a little bit of an insight as to how some people spent their time on the very first Christmas Eve, we found out about the shepherds. Now, most of us, like I said, have an idea of what shepherds are from those dramas that we do here in the sanctuaries with middle schoolers and elementary school kids with sticks and bathrobes and things over their heads. We even had a line of shepherds here on Friday night, all ready to go. Being very quiet, I should say. I was very impressed with our shepherds and, and the fact that they controlled themselves. I have no clue how the first shepherds reacted back then. But interesting enough, I did learn a little bit more about shepherds. There were mainly two different kinds of shepherds in that time. There was the first ones that I think that we always generally seem to have that picture in our head of the hired shepherd. And that is somebody owned a significant amount of sheep. And so that person would go out and hire someone or someone's people to watch over the flocks of sheep. Now, the fact that the sheep were out in the fields at night tells us a couple of things. One is, is that it tells us that probably this story happened during birthing season. So let that just kind of chew around in your head for a little bit. Not so whenever the because whenever the sheep are birthing, they can't be moved around quite as much. So they stay out 
in the fields at that time. Because most of the time you would bring the sheep back and you'd find a pen for the night. But no, this time they were out in the fields. But you would find folks that could watch sheep. It did not take a significant amount of training or did not take a significant amount of kind of of, um, gifts and talents. And so what you found was that it was not a very high class or high paying job in those times. And sadly, because it wasn't, and because it was generally given to people who did not have a lot of skills, you found that it was given to people who didn't always have the best backgrounds. In fact, shepherds actually stealing sheep themselves that they were supposed to be watching was pretty common back in that time. So the ways that people looked at shepherds for hire was not good. And these were not even the shepherds that during the day, these were third shift shepherds. But there was another kind of shepherd. And we actually still have these kind of shepherds here today. And that is family shepherds. Because the interesting thing about it is, is that for the people in the Middle East at that time, and even today, sheep have a very big part in the family dynamic. They use the sheep for all kinds of things. Sheep and goat milk was stuff that they would drink, that they would use for soaps and for anything that they had. They used that. They used the, 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 you know, the, the wool and the things to make clothes. They used parts of it to compost for their gardens. And they used them for meat to sell and to consume for the family. It was an important place within the family. And these sheep and goats were very important. But most of the time, the adults had other roles and things that they needed to be doing, whether it was working outside the home or working within. And so the care of the sheep generally fell towards the children. So today, when you heard the story, I don't know who you had pictured in your mind, but it could have been children. It could have been shifty shepherds. People cast aside, but these were not. These were not the highest class system people to be sharing the good news on the day after Christmas. Back then, the term good news meant words that came from the political hierarchy, from the Caesars, from the governors, from those that were in power. They shared good news with all the people. Instead, Luke tells the story of shepherds that will share the good news. Did God choose right? Is this who we would generally have entrusted to share this wonderful story with? 
Because that is what happened. It's these shepherds that began telling of the things that they had seen, that they had heard from the angels. These were the ones that were entrusted with God's story. I don't know if they sat around and said to themselves, are we really the ones that should be doing this? Instead, God says, I have good news of great joy for you to share in this world. It just came from them. It just was something they had to do. I'm grateful that you all chose on the day after Christmas to come to worship. I appreciate that. There's something special, I think, about being in a place like this and gathering to sing the songs, gathering to hear the stories. We recognize that there are probably some that have little kids that are still in their bedroom slippers right now trying to recover from yesterday. Maybe being a PK was the reason that I got the call to lead worship back in 1994 after Christmas. It could be that that year Christmas fell on Sunday, okay? So our family had gone to Christmas Eve and then gotten up the next morning and we had church Christmas Sunday morning. And for some reason, my dad and I were chatting the other day about how we had traveled, but we had stayed home in 1994. And it came to when, when, um, when Christmas falls on Sunday morning, guess when New Year's Day falls? Sunday morning. I'm so glad we got Harry Robert on this Sunday to lead worship because finding someone to lead worship on the day after New Year's Eve is not a call that is easily received. I'm going to have to do that next year. So maybe that's why my dad said, hey, Chad, do you want to lead worship on January the 1st, 1995? Or maybe you guilted me into it. I don't remember the, but what, how it happened, but I did say yes. And I remember that I was there in the sanctuary with those hardy ones that had gathered on New Year's Day. Maybe they just stayed up the rest of the night. I don't know, but we came together on that Christmas or that Sunday morning. And the story that was told that day, the message was the story of the wise men, the magi making their way to the home to visit Jesus. And so I told that story, I led in worship, but what was interesting is, is that for some reason during that time, when it came to the end of the service, and the way that we did it back then is all the ministers and the worship leaders would come down in the front of uh, First Christian Church in Lafayette, Indiana, and we would stand there, and my dad or the minister presiding that day would offer the benediction, and we would sing. And I remember standing there, and I remember very distinctly that as we sang and as we offered that benediction, I thought to myself, 
maybe this is something that I could do. It wasn't what I had planned. It was not where I had helped to go. In fact, I didn't know that I could do something like this because as a PK, I knew all the stuff that I would be getting into. And so I wondered, could I do this? I still ask myself that every single Sunday. Before Christmas Eve. Can I do this? How is it that God chooses people like me to tell this story? Marianne Williams has a quote that goes a little like this. She said, it's not that we fear sharing the story because we are too powerful. It's because... We worry that we are not strong enough. You have been blessed. You have been given this story. And some people may overlook you because you're too small. Or because you're not the right age. Or you don't look a certain way. Or you don't act a certain way or you don't talk this way, or you don't have these gifts, or you don't have that gifts. What this story reminds us each and every year is that there is more to come, and you have a part to play in it. God has proclaimed to all of you and to me that it is up to us to tell this story. It is up to us to continue to share the good news. Whether we feel adequate enough or not, God knows our hearts and says, you are the one that I have chosen to share this story. Let us go forth from the manger this day, making our way out into the world to share this good news and find out what more is to come. Amen. Thank you for listening to the White Oak Pond Christian Church Podcast. We hope that it's been a blessing to you this day. White Oak Pond seeks to be a place where we accept one person at a time to Christ's never-ending and forgiving love. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can receive sermons each and every week. And also rate us. It really helps. Thank you again, and may you know joy in powerful ways this week.